Hello, welcome to another finals reaction edition of the Hoop Scoop podcast. My name is Nate with my pod pal Phil. Hello, welcome. And game four in the books. The series is knotted up. Milwaukee Bucks 109, Phoenix Suns 103. Chris Middleton with the performance of the night for the Bucks going for 40 points, plus 10 in the plus minus 43 minutes for Middleton. Giannis Andrew, heavy minutes from the Bucks big three. Devin Booker, 42 points on no threes, 17 for 28 from the field, but not enough to get it done. So, Phil, I'll let you take it whichever direction you want. Where do you want to start here? There's a lot lot of directions to go. A lot of of stuff to unpack. Yeah, for sure. I'd probably say I'd start with the um, the Phoenix Suns. Not a lot of production from Chris Paul or DeAndre Ayton. I think the Aiton thing was a little more interesting, at least early on. We saw coming out of that Chris Paul Aiton pick and roll, for some reason or other, Aiton wasn't able to get his kind of deep rolls that he typically gets. He was stuck at the foul line and basically just decided, I'm going to try to hit him. And that was an early way of the offense kind of getting out of its rhythm, a weirded out flow. And I think that kind of carried out throughout the rest of the game. Aiton was not able to get to his typical spots. I'm not going to overreact and say, like, they've solved how to guard Aiton. I think part of it may have to do with he might be a little fatigued. He might be tired. He's never been in this situation. He's, I think he's 21, 22. So he's not right. He might not be in the right mindset at the moment, but he could snap out of it in a minute, you know. And then Chris Paul just had a tough time last night. It it was bound to happen. He's going to go through struggles having Drew Holiday guard you, and it just happened to happen tonight when – it was a big time, big stage. Yeah, for sure. If you're and if we're gonna go Phoenix, those are the two guys that we want to focus on because, listen, we we kind of know what the fringe players for the Suns are gonna give you. It's gonna be a lot of spot up shooting. You know, defensively, you just hope they don't kill you. And overall, I thought they got okay production from the role players. I mean, Cam Johnson made some big shots, ten points on six shots. He made uh he made two threes. Campaign, honestly, I thought I had his best game of the series so far. But that's when, saying something. It's, I mean, <laughs> a low bar, but I, I was, I was watching. I was like, this is the first time in a while I've seen Campaign have a good game, probably since that outburst against the Clippers. But, uh, yeah. So with Aiden and Chris Paul, it's interesting because I think they're kind of linked. And you mentioned the Aiden mid-range jumpers in the first. That was a lot in the beginning of the game. And you're right; those shots weren't falling. Overall, just a lot of those little bunnies, those flip shots that Aiton was nailing to start last game before he got into foul trouble, those shots just weren't hitting. Only takes nine shots, only makes three of them. Uh, but the biggest thing for Aiton, I think the biggest number that stands out is one offensive rebound. He did get 16 defensive rebounds, which is good because you need somebody to patrol the glass. But one offensive rebound. That's that's a that's a low that's a low level of productivity on the offensive end when you're not getting Aiton into you know those deep roles that you talked about, and I think one big factor into what into why he got only one offensive rebound goes to Milwaukee for a second um, with their rotations, especially with playing Portis and Giannis together. Those rotations those lineups actually work very well, and Portis was a plus seven, and the ability to have Portis on the floor. And if you notice, I, I, I didn't catch it till later in the game, but on those rolls, instead of, you know, being put in a mismatch, Portis is able to snuff in on those pick and rolls and do like a late switch where he takes Aiden and then the other guy 
kind of flares out to one of Phoenix's shooters and covers that spot. So you you don't get Aiton in those unfavorable mismatches where he can just get the ball and, and pretty much flip it in. Um, so, yeah, the Aiton was completely neutralized. The Chris Paul in pick and roll didn't get a lot of productivity out of it. A lot of that goes to Drew Holiday. I mean, I think he did, although offensively he was anemic, defensively probably the best defensive player on the floor last night. He showed it, really bothered Chris Paul. Um, and then, listen, Chris Paul missed a bunch of shots. He was very careless with the ball, a lot of bad turnovers, over-dribbled, wasn't able to take advantage of any mismatches. It was a bad game from those two. They didn't produce. And when you don't get any production from either of those guys, really any facets, I think even defensively, Aiden was eh. Uh, you know, once the Bucks figured out that they could pretty much put Aiden into pick and roll, and he does – he was he was doing drop coverage. We only talk about it when the Bucks do it, but Aiden was given a heavy dose of drop coverage, and Middleton was waltzing into his spots in the mid range and him difficult shots, but still shots that he can make. Uh, so those two didn't give you a lot of production. I don't know if uh, anything I just said kind of stuck a core with you, but that's what I saw from those two guys. And you're right, they they didn't play well, and 16 points between the two not going to get it done. Yeah, um, just one tiny other thing when. Bobby Portis wasn't kind of in the situation you were talking about. I saw a lot of more, a lot more physicality from Brooke Lopez on DeAndre Ayton on the rolls. So it seemed like that kind of prohibited him from getting to his spot specifically. And then when that happened to throw us off Chris Paul's thing, it was all just what we were just talking about. But yeah. They, they have two, it seems like at least from this game, two guys that kind of understand their role in the Deion guarding the pick and roll from Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. And going forward, that could be a really good thing. It could just be an aberration for one night. But yeah. if it is consistent for the rest of the series, it's going to be a lot more interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we'll we'll see one game to another. I mean, Chris Paul was very bad. And some of the stuff that he did was on force. Some of the – I mean, he, he missed most of his mid-range jumpers. He made one or two, but missed most of them. The turnovers were very bad, over-dribbling. Sometimes, I mean – Listen, Devin Booker took a lot of shots, but sometimes I feel like he should have had the ball even more. And yeah, he didn't a take that many shots. You end up with twenty-eight. I mean, they're all twos, and sometimes it still felt like Chris Paul was just kind of dribbling around and not really doing anything with it, while the while Devin Booker is just standing there. No, I don't I know. Agree. Like, no, we, I just we, meant like if you're making that, if you're hitting it at that kind of clip, you could definitely hit some more, take some more shots. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Uh, I thought the offense got really slow and a lot of that has to go on Chris Paul because that's one of the things we give Chris Paul credit for is he seems to be the guy, one of the few in the modern NBA who plays the point guard position like a traditional point guard and gets the ball to the players who needs the ball and gets to the, the ball to guys in their spots and didn't seem like he did that last night. It was a lot of over dribbling, loose passes, loose uh you know, loose handle, losing the ball in the middle of the floor. The live ball turnovers were killer. The Bucks killed them in transition. Uh, you know, listen, at the end of the day, the numbers that kind of tell the story, just from a, you know, like a statistical standpoint, five turnovers for the Suns, 17 turnovers for the uh, – oh, sorry, sorry, five turnovers for the Bucks, 17 turnovers for the Suns, and then offensive rebounds, five turnovers uh, – five offensive rebounds for the Suns. 17 offensive rebounds for the Bucks. So that's your that's your possession game right there. You know that that that's the difference of the amount of shots, the amount of, because the Bucks didn't shoot great either. Seven for 29 from three, 0 for 10 combined from Lopez and Holiday. 
but they won the possession game and they were able to capitalize on those second chance points. Yeah. All right. So do we want to position over to the Bucks? Anything you thought really stood out to you? Yeah, the Bucks. Listen, I, I give nobody's going to say it because people have just dug their holes so deep on the stance. But I thought I thought it was a great game by Bud. Honestly, uh, I thought that his adjustment to kind of go away from Lopez. You know, everybody's been talking about the honest center lineup, and they did some of that, but. He saw what was happening with Lopez. He wasn't hitting his threes, so he wasn't being the court spacer that they needed. And defensively, I actually think last night, Portis was the better option, especially with the lack of effectiveness that Chris Paul and uh, Aiden were having on the pick and roll. Portis gave you huge offensive rebounds, and they needed his minutes, plus seven in 20 minutes. And then uh, then Connaughton also, getting Connaughton, in the rotation so heavily, plus 21 for Connaughton, 32 minutes. He hit huge shots, uh, three threes, and they seem like they're just the biggest shots of the night. So I thought Bud did a really nice job managing his rotations. Huge minutes for the big three, 43 minutes for all of those guys. Drew Holiday, great game defensively. And then uh, Chris Milton show, showed up. He took 33 shots, made 15 of them, 40 points overall, plus 10 on the night. And as I said, they kind of found a sweet spot with that side pick and roll, putting Aiden into the action. And Aiden really didn't want a part of it and was dropping. You know, he was afraid of the honest role, and Middleton was getting to his spots and knocking knocking him down. So big-time shot make for Middleton. I thought it was, it's a great game for Milwaukee. If you're a Bucks fan, I think you did a lot of stuff that game that seems like it could be kind of sustainable. Obviously, it's game to game. But to get that poor of a shooting performance from Drew Holiday – but then being able to do what you do best, get out in transition, kill them on the boards, you know, that's kind of the Bucks when they're at their best. And then, of course, the shot making Middleton is much needed. Uh, so, yeah, really, really good effort from the Bucks all around, I thought. Yeah, and um, kind of touching on what you were saying with Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez and Bob Portis didn't have a spectacular shooting game, per se. Brooke Lopez didn't make a three, as you were just talking about, and Bob Portis is one for six. But the way he impacted the game other in other ways was tremendous. But going into next game, you got to expect one of those guys to be a little bit more efficient. Typically, yeah. typically they're, they're hitting their shots. And Drew Holiday's kind of in and out. But if you can get one or two of those three guys to, you know, kind of put it together and maybe get around 15 plus, then it's going to be it's going to be a very good game. Yeah, I mean, seven for 29 from three and you pull out the win. So you got to feel good about that. Uh, and they, they threw a couple possessions away. Giannis took some horrible threes at the end of the game, like some of the worst. <laughs> uh, he, took, yeah. he, took, he took one where he stopped with like 20 seconds. And Giannis had a very good game. Uh, I don't think it was a great Giannis game, but offensive rebounds, he was killer. Five offensive rebounds, uh, 14 rebounds total. And that block, which we got to talk about, was uh, – People love that block. It was a good block. It was a good block. It though. was a very good block. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. But it's, I, it's not, I guess it's not I game like, seven LeBron block, but. Right. I guess I didn't like in the broadcast that they're like, that's the honest moment. Yeah, you can't say that in game four. If that happened yeah. in game six or seven with a chance to close it out, then sure. But there's so yeah, much time. No. There's so much time left in the series. Nobody has had their moment yet. Moments will still come. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. But Giannis had a really good game. Defensively, I thought he was he was really good. And then on the boards, they, they need him. So... Yeah, I mean, the Bucks did a lot of good stuff. Uh, I think it's sustainable. Let's, uh, I just want to ask you, so from a Sun standpoint, if you're, if you're 
in the coaching staff or in the the coaching room or I don't know, maybe just to think some guys need to play better, make more shots, whatever. Like, what's the biggest thing you need to look at adjustment wise going into the next game? Um, I'd probably say getting people more in a rhythm earlier on. We saw maybe the last Chris Paul try to lighten the load for everybody by taking over the offense early. And then maybe people would get comfortable around him because Chris Paul would be the center of attention and then they'd find more open shots. So maybe going into the next game, I don't think that's how they did the first two games. They really tried to spread it out and keep an open offense. But if you go into, first of all, you're going back to Phoenix. That's a nice part. Your role players might feel a little bit more comfortable in at home. And you tell Chris Paul, or, you know, obviously I think Chris Paul figured it out himself, be more open and keep the ball moving as opposed to try to run your pick and roll straight out the gate and probably do five pick and rolls in the first four or five minutes. Keep it light. Yeah. Keep it airy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, You know, the Suns offense looked decent to start the game. It was, you know, it was a slugfest. But Devin Booker there did a much better job of getting him involved. He was hitting some crazy shots, scoring in every which way possible. Then obviously the whole – Foul fiasco. I mean, at the end of the game, I didn't know what was going on. The refs. Oh yeah, we got to talk about that. It was the refs seemed a little overwhelmed, and I'm not gonna like. I I think they made bad calls on both sides, so I'm not gonna even like say one team benefited particularly. Obviously, we're just gonna talk about the Devin Booker play. Um, I mean, like there was other plays though. There was a the ball that they called out of bounds on Devin Booker. That was clearly not off of him. Uh, There was a foul that they called. On uh, they said Jay Crowder fouled Giannis at the end of the game. That was not a foul. But then they called that weird P.J. Tucker touch foul on Jay Crowder in the corner when he fell. That was a weird call because Jay Crowder's been doing that all series and they haven't been calling it. Uh, it was so physical, though. I mean, <laughs> the hand-checking was unbelievable. Like, And I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I prefer that type of basketball instead of guys like running around and just not being able to get touched and just you know floating into jumpers and whatnot. But so different from regular season basketball. Like Drew was extremely physical up top on the ball screens, really riding people. It it was an interesting game, and but you, you could tell it was finals energy. But yeah, the refs kind of lost control at times. Uh, I'm happy that like sounds like people are. I can't imagine if the Suns won and maybe Devin Booker hit some crazy shots at the end because the uproar would have been ridiculous. Because obviously that no call on Drew Holiday in transition was a. Very egregious. We should have fouled Booker out, but yeah, no. I I want to get a hot mic or a hot cam on the on all the refs during that because it almost seemed like they all choked on their whistle and they're like, "I'm not going to do that. You going to do it?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it, it was ridiculous. I don't know the, why they. Yeah, the the refs they it, they, they seem to get a little phased by the moment. Uh, I even remember that one that one play where Giannis drove. And Aiton fouled him. It was a clear foul, a clear block. And none of the refs around called it. And, like, the ref from half court had to call it. Just like, guys, like, what what, like, what are we doing? You know, uh, I, it, it was a crazy atmosphere, though. Uh, like, Milwaukee and Phoenix right now is it's pretty wild, honestly. And it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, last year we were playing in the bubble. And now we're pretty much back to just full yeah, capacity. Back finals to full free. Yeah, this is, that was finals atmosphere last night. Extremely rowdy. But... Yeah, overall, listen, it sucks for the Suns because you get an all-time performance from Devin Booker, and it looked like, especially in that third quarter where he was just, I mean, manufacturing offense single-handedly, it seemed like this was going to be the Booker game, and this was going to be the game. They're going to go up 3-1. You know, they were up 9, I believe, at the end of the third, and, you know, the Bucks weren't going to be able to overcome that lead, 
But then Booker gets the fifth foul. Chris Paul is a wreck, and the Bucks make huge shots to continue to just hound the offensive rebounds, and the Suns can't overcome it. So it's kind of a gut punch for Phoenix because I think they played well enough to win just from the standpoint of they got such a good performance out of their star. But the lack of Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton production, it hurts. And, I, you know, they, they need they need more from Chris Paul next game because, like, just this – just having it from Booker, uh, I mean, you can't bank on 17 for 28 again. So you're going to need more out of Chris Paul. I thought the role players were fine, um, but you need more. You need more out of CP3. Yeah, I like the role players. They, you know, they contributed what you'd expect. Couldn't, can't complain if you get more, but this is probably the benchmark for winnable games in terms of what the role guys are doing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. I think obviously there'll be adjustments. Chris Paul will, you know, try to get himself more oriented, you know, share the ball and get people going earlier. So then there's more of an outlet when he's trying to dish it out. Who knows? Yeah, I, I'm very interested with the whole, like, how they use Aiton in the half court because I mean, he still gets mismatches. And it seems like at the beginning of the game, like, they tried it. They tried to do what they did last game, and he wasn't hitting, so they stopped going away from it. But, I don't know, it still seems like a decent source of offense compared to Chris Paul dribbling around the court for however, however long and seeking mismatches that he's not doing anything with. So, yeah. you know, I – I think a lot of the Aiton thing is, is schematics. You know, they, they they made a conscious decision that they were not going to feed him the ball, especially in the second half. He, he barely touched in the half court. Yeah, I'm. I, it's a, it's it is what it is at the moment. DeAndre Aiton's going to have to, yeah, either no, be yeah. more forceful or you know, Monty won ball when he thinks he needs it or, or not because he really really kind of shot away. Yeah. If sure. that took away from his and confidence, who knows? Pat Connaughton, the unsung hero of the night, though. With, uh, that is true. He he was kind of the unsung hero of the last game as well. He, yeah. He, just, he I mean, did that, a good that, little that, effort. That, that dude just flies around. And, listen, Phoenix is not, like, a physical team for the most part. They have Aiton down low who can assert his will. But, you know, Booker, Chris Paul, like, you know, that, that's not really their M.O. is, you know, getting getting dirty and boxing out Connaughton and P.J. Tucker every possession. So I think part of it's like a mentality shift. Honestly, like, they got to They got to be ready that, you know, it's it's going to be a battle every time the ball goes up for the Bucks, Like they are crashing. And especially since they know Phoenix doesn't really like to get out and run. Like that's not really their style. They like to operate in the half court. So they can afford to to hit the boards because they they're not as concerned about the Suns, you know, burning them with leak out passes and getting out in two on one stuff like that. It's not really the way they play. So it's got to be a mentality shift where every time that ball goes up, like you got to find a person, you got to find a body, uh, because even on like Booker's uh, fifth foul, I believe it was when he hip checked PJ Tucker, they said it wasn't a foul. I thought it was a foul because that's what happens when you don't box out early. That's what that's what happens when you're not thinking okay, we have to rebound when the ball goes up. Like, yeah, he tried to box out, but it was too late. P.J. Tucker was already making this pursuit for the ball. So by that time, you're not in a position to box out. All you, you're, you're kind of just hitting him, you know? And, like, did P.J. Tucker sell it? Maybe. But to me, that signals a mentality of we're not ready every time the ball goes up to find a body and get this rebound. Because the Bucks, it's a battle. Every time that ball goes up and hits the rim, like, it's a battle. They're going for offensive rebounds. Yeah, P.J. Tucker seemed to be a big – 
thorn in Devin Booker's side last night. There was a lot of stuff where you would be like, I, I think you could call that foul. Like, he was thrown out just full-on elbows at him when he was trying to get around him. And even on the box out, he was doing hip check. It was He did it more than once, but they only called it, I think, once. So, yeah, it will be – hopefully P.J. stays on Devin Booker. Obviously, it didn't work offensively for him, but theoretically, you did get him to foul out. They just didn't call it. Yeah, I mean, nobody did a great job on Booker. Like, Drew jarred him a little bit, but I, I like I like Drew's matchup on Chris. If I can – if I'm Bud and I can continue to just make life really difficult for Chris, like, I'm keeping Drew on Chris and living with the Booker stuff. Like, some of those shots yeah. you just got to live with. So, like, people are – if people are saying that you got to get Drew on Booker full-time, I disagree. I think that Drew on Chris is the move right now. Continue to make life hard for him, and it's going to make the whole team suffer. If 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 you if you lose with Booker playing isolation basketball and hitting a billion mid range contested twos, that's just the way you lose, and you're going to have to live with it. I don't think that's a good recipe for success for Phoenix, though. So yeah. I'm making life difficult for Chris Paul in the pick and roll with Drew on him. That's that's the that's the the route to success for Milwaukee. Yeah, definitely. I mean, make make them Booker beat you. He's going to get you buckets, but. Chris Paul, if you leave him alone, he's going to manufacture offense, and that's going to be a big difference in how the team is playing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Booker was elite last night scoring, but, uh, you know, only two assists and only one rebound. Not trying to knock Booker. He was great last night. Yeah, yeah, And some of those uh, shots were just unbelievable. He he was really in the – we've had two all-time third quarters this series. The uh, Giannis's third quarter, both losing efforts. Uh, interestingly enough. So Giannis with that 20-point third quarter, and I think Booker had 18 in last night's third quarter. So huge, huge matchups. But in the fourth quarter, that's when the kind of the game was decide. Bucks win the third the fourth quarter by 12. And that was that was that. That was nail in the coffin. So gotta be adjusted for next game. Chris Paul has to play better. Aiden has to play better. They got to do a better job, I think, in the side pick and rolls. Can't let Middleton waltz into mid-range jumpers. And then rebounding is the biggest thing, I I believe. Turnovers also, but rebounding can't happen. Can't get out-rebounded on the offensive board 17-5. to Not going to work. Yeah. No arguments there. What's your pick for game five, Phil? I'm going to stick with my OG... Uh, prediction which seems to be going well I hope it doesn't because I want Milwaukee to win but my prediction was first two Phoenix first and then next two Bucks and then last two Phoenix that was your prediction that was my prediction so it seems to be I'm either spell casting it into existence or <laughs> it's a good prediction and if that's the case then I'm gonna go ahead and give Pat Connaughton the FMVP right now <laughs> best player in the world yeah and then yeah. they give him they name the award after him valid valid yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, game five, it's good. Like, a lot of pressure on Phoenix game five. A lot of pressure. Uh, I, listen, like, there's a lot of pressure on Milwaukee, too, because these games are all crucial. But, um, you know, it seems like home court matters a lot right now just from the results. So, you know, maybe we're on pace for a game seven, which would be fun. And that was my prediction, Suns in seven. So I'll stick with that uh, and say that the Suns are going to win next game and then Bucks win and then game seven is just, you know, That'd be awesome. Game seven. First yeah. game, first finals game seven since 2016. They don't happen much. They are, and they are special. So hopefully you get it. To be clear, you predict the Suns to win. Who do you want to win? I want the Bucks to win. Although yeah, last night, yeah. last, last night, I did get a little bit of a soft spot for Booker. I was very, uh, I don't know. I, I 
I, I crap on Booker a lot. You know, you've watched the games with me, obviously, just so you know. I get, I don't know, I don't love some of the stuff he does. I you get find cranky. To, I found to be a bit arrogant, but I do think this dude is super competitive. I do think he cares a lot about winning. In the post game, I really like his demeanor. He was saying, they were asking about his game, and he was having none of it. He said, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. So I love that. Uh, dude's a killer, but they need more production than other guys because he was on an island last night. Yeah, I'm in the same camp where it's like, <clears throat> it'd be nice to see the Bucks win. They're kind of the underdog coming in with the honest stuff. But at this point, it seems pretty even playing field. Hopefully it stays that way and we can, I can be wrong. We can get a game seven. Yeah, let's hope. Um, Phil, I do want to talk about something else though. Oh, well, what's up? Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Can, I, yeah. can, I, can I entertain you with this? Uh, you've you've already done so. Okay, so finals talk. Obviously, the, the talk of the town right now. We got game five coming up on Saturday. That will be fun. But other huge news in the, in the NBA world came out a day or two ago. Uh, Kawhi Leonard. It's been released finally after really no concrete news of what his injury was following that awkward play in the Western Conference semifinals when he ran to Joe Ingles at the end of the game, missed the rest of the postseason. We all know what happened. It's really, it's revealed Kawhi partial torn ACL will undergo surgery. Um, they say partial, but realistically the surgeries I've done my research. It's pretty much the same as a regular yeah, ACL months, there. So especially with Kawhi, the way Kawhi yeah. runs it, he's going to go the extra mile. Yeah. So, well, that, there is no timetable. I can't say for sure. Do not expect Kawhi Leonard to be on the court to be in the season. I could, if I put a 0% chance of that, will he play next year? Not really sure. Obviously, he's a free agent. So that's huge as well. Just a lot of ramifications to this, Phil. What's Do you want to hear an interesting caveat? You want. Yeah. Do you know when the finals start next year? Well, it's going to be on the regular schedule. So right, I'd, but I'd we're already around. cutting – we're eating into it right now. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to start – like, we're going to have less time. It's going to it's going to start beginning of June, I think. Exactly. I think we're nine months out. I think someone said we're nine months out from when the playoffs will start. Yeah, that makes was sense. The Play- playoffs usually start mid-April, so. And that does not year. line up well with how Kawhi would be coming back from his injury, let alone yeah. getting back on the court and getting reintegrated with the team, whatever team it is and how they're looking. Yeah. So it's weird. It's it almost seems like just because of the time parameters and everything with the shortened season and then the pushback season, we might not be able to see Kawhi at all next season, even if he's ready to go theoretically in 10 months. Yeah, I said when it happened, um, I'd be surprised if we see Kawhi next year, honestly, Uh, between the surgery and then obviously knowing what we know about Kawhi. He's not one to come back quickly from injuries. Right. One to definitely take his time, do things on his own schedule. So, and I also think I was talking to some people about this. Like, I I feel like players kind of mentally make a decision. And even if you're physically ready at a certain point, you're not going to do it because you're already mentally checked out of that season. So say Kawhi decides for the year, I'm not, I'm taking this year off. I'm taking this year off to rehab. We're attacking stuff the next, the next off season, figuring it out. Even if maybe the rehab goes great and he's ready, I, like once you mentally make that decision, you're not coming back. I I, I uh, point to the Durant inj- injury where he gets hurt and he kind of decides, 
Yeah. And um, <clears throat> one thing I was that made me think of it when we were talking about this was you remember the whole thing about um, we're arguing whether he should play or not. There was internal discussion with the, the medics and Kawhi's camp. It should have been very clear yeah. early on since he went down with the injury that this is what it was. You're going to see the slight tear and you're going to be like, okay, that's what we're working with. Was this, was this something that maybe the, this was, they were arguing before he had this injury in the game against who was it? Utah. Yes. yes. So that was my idea where it's maybe this has been a, this is a late report and we think it's kind of relevant to right now, but really this was an argument they were having a few weeks back where Kawhi's knee was just kind of feeling funky at the time. And then when he was playing in that specific injury, that thing happened. I think he was trying to go for a dunk. But that's when the tear happened. And then the whole time before, they were like, you, you're probably fine to play. You should play. You should be able to. And then Kawhi's camp, whatever. Yeah. They say, okay, was, whatever. It's the playoffs. He was dribbling down, and it was like a weird – it was like on a transition play. It was around the uh, the elbow. And then he just kind of buckled the knee. It was weird. I think, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. But – uh. Yeah, it's you definitely bring up a good point. It's hard to say what the communication was between the two camps because we know the communication between Kawhi and the Clippers and the public was limited because we didn't know anything, you know. But it's very difficult to say how much the Clippers knew. From reports, it seems like they probably didn't know as much as a regular, a, you know, regular team, regular situation would know about injury. But again, like. We don't know. Uh, it's very hard. Honestly, like, I kind of take a lot of these reports the green salt now. People were reporting all kinds of stuff when Kawhi was hurt. First, they're saying an ACL tear. Then they're saying a sprain. They're saying he can play. And they're saying, like, I don't know. To me, I, I think a lot of reporters – I've kind of lost faith in, like, those types of reports when, when it involves, um, like, decisions of players, especially relating to Kawhi, because I don't think anybody really knows what's happening except the people in his camp. And it's a very close circle that doesn't really leak much. So I just have a hard time really understanding like who knew what and at one timeline. So maybe the Clippers knew early. Maybe the Clippers didn't know at all. Maybe the Clippers just found out the same time as us. I'm not sure, but what is going to have major ramifications on the Clippers for the next season and for years to come. And it starts with this off season because Kawhi has a player option. So, Phil, how do you expect this to go? Because even like it's 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 a little premature to talk off season, but I think when we have a situation like this where such breaking news happens and it has such ramifications that like we could kind of wrap our head around right our heads around right now, it's not gonna change from now until the end of the finals. Uh we gotta address it because listen, Kawhi's still an elite player in this league. Still every team's gonna want gonna want him, even if he's not gonna play next season. Um, but how do you view this from the Clippers standpoint, point from Kawhi's standpoint, do you think this impacts things? Obviously it's a gut punch for the Clippers fan base and for the organization, but from a financials, from a team building standpoint, what, what's your first reaction? Yeah, it's, it really muddies the water. We, I can't say any, what you were talking about before. No one knows what Kawhi is going to do, whether he's staying or going, I would presume from my best guess is that he does stay just because this is the place he wanted to be for so long. I always wanted him to go to the heat, but, you know, Fugazi, Fugazi. Um, 
but yeah, you can't really tell what's going on with Kawhi. You, you, you just wait till you hear it. Basically, anybody that says otherwise is foolish. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, was, I just had a point. I'm trying to remember it now. Um, the Kawhi stuff is interesting, with especially when you compare it to KD, where you just have like that year of sitting out. If he did go to a new team, obviously people are going to be 100 percent into it. They'll do it. They'll throw whatever money they can at him for for a year off of Kawhi and then two years later. I think the KD thing is a little different because there's definitely less of a risk or impact into future. We've seen a lot of ACL injuries come back and a lot of guys come pretty much full strength. The The medicine and advancements have really improved over the past probably 10 years. And we see guys and we completely forget they were, they had a torn ACL, Zach Levine, uh, perfect example. You know, he's, he's just as bouncy as he was before and he hasn't lost a step at all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it'll just be interesting to see. Yeah. I, the, he's got options. He could, he could, op, he could opt in and just get paid by the Clippers next year and not uh, play. He can opt out and re up on a max. He can opt out, sign a different one year deal and then, be eligible for some sort of supermax next year. I don't know. I'm not fully grasped on all of the situations, but it sucks for the Clippers because you just look back and man, I mean, listen, if he stays, you, you just got to pray stays because if he doesn't, then it's a whole nother can of worms. But right now, you know, presuming he doesn't play next year, I'm not really going to give him much of a shot to do anything significant. So you're talking three seasons and like, I know this is a little premature because we're not going with this postseason. We're talking about next postseason, but you know, three, three seasons, a second round exit, which was just a mess all around. The team was looking really good this year. Stuff started to kind of break their way. It seemed like they, you know, could honestly at full health, a lot of people probably would have thought they were the best team between the two conferences in the conference finals, you know, between the Suns, Clippers, Bucks, Hawks. And then he goes down and now it looks like next year might be a wash. Also, it's just tough. It's tough to stomach if you're a Clippers fan. It's tough to stomach. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we don't like it either. We, we obviously want to watch Kawhi hoop and yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess so. P, PG's getting his MVP season. Yeah. Or his at yeah. least attempt at it. Yeah, Maybe turns man, is. MIP. You got to feel for P. Yeah, I mean, you, listen, you got to feel for all those guys. Feel for PG, too, because even though, like, I'm sure he'll, like, he probably had a lot of fun this year. He kind of re, re uh, framed the image of him a little bit. And I think a lot yeah. of people gained respect for PG. But he knows, like, he's got to be in a situation where he can win a title. He's got to, you know, he's got to be on that stage for his legacy to fully be what he wants it to be. And they're simply just not going to have that opportunity without Kawhi. Uh, So that sucks, but that's just the news for now. I'm sure, I'm sure more things will develop as we go on. Uh, That's all I got, Phil, unless you have something you want to talk about. It's just a slight thing. Have you seen all the, uh, the Nerlens Noel love the, the league is showing. Throwing we're his talk, way nowadays. We're talking Nerlens. Can we at least talk Young Bull if we're going to talk Knicks? Well, we can. I, this wasn't even Knicks directed. It was Nerlens is getting love from, I think, the Warriors want him, Nets want him, uh, Mavs want him, a whole slew of people that could use just a very like good defensively. Yeah, yeah, I prefer him on the Knicks, but yeah, I'd, I'd also <laughs> like him on the Knicks. Yeah, 
he'd be a much better Claxton, essentially. So, yeah, he, I mean, Neron's Neron's a fit for sure for a lot of teams. Um, I mean, you honestly like look at the Suns right now. Like, what what did we get Neron's on last off season? It was crazy cheap, right? Yeah, it was <clears throat> it was ten or low, ten or less mil a year for a year. Yeah, I mean, imagine if the Suns pulled that off as their backup center. Jeez, we look. I think we'd be looking at things a little bit differently, honestly. They had Rayshon, and they let him go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rayshon is just as serviceable as Nerlens. Yeah, I think the Suns. This is kind of teaching us a lesson. You, re- especially in like, because centers are the most, the most prone to kind of get into foul trouble and stuff. Like, you you need two centers in the roster. You need two centers in the roster, unless you're gonna like play crazy small ball and you have Nets lineups where you know playing Kevin Durant at center where like. You probably don't even want to play center, but for ninety-five percent of teams, you need two centers. You need a backup center. Yeah, especially with Chris Paul, predominantly he he needs that center to to pull people away or him yeah. to pull away so he can get dump it off to him. If you bring yeah. a small ball with Chris Paul, it's just like, what are you going to do with Jeff Green? I mean, I've, honestly, I think Dwight Howard would be a great fit with Phoenix right now for some plug and play yeah. minutes. Yeah. Definitely. So, because yeah, they're really missing that that second pick and roll partner for Chris. He's not he's not looking good in their small ball lineups. Dwight is committed to the Sixers, though. He gets frosties after every game. That's a good that's a good setup, honestly. Yeah, it's a good setup. So, do you want to talk young bull? It sounded like you were young bull foaming at the mouth. Uh, one minute. All I want to say is I want him. Yeah, I'm into it too. It took me a little while to come around, probably. The last few weeks, I was like, okay, this, the deal is right. Like, I'm, I'm not down to, to throw a lot of people at it. Like, get rid of RJ, get rid of quick or even quickly. No, no, no. But no. if it's off the table, people are talking, it might be something like OB and one of our two pick first round picks and then Kevin Knox. Yeah. That's completely, that's completely, you do it every time, 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I'm if I'm Cleveland, I'm probably just saying, can we do quickly instead of Obi? And I don't. I mean, we might. Just, if they say you know, no, you're like, okay, fine. They come back with a no. Yeah, like, yeah. Right, that's cool. Or Cleveland could, or Cleveland could say, okay, fine, look elsewhere. I mean, I don't know. I would. Yeah, I, no. I view I view quickly much higher than I view Obi. I, I mean, I honestly don't think they're even in the same league right now, uh, in terms oh, yeah, of how that's... I value them. Yeah, like quickly. Quickly's looking like a high-end prospect, and Obi's looking like a ugh, big question mark. So, yeah, but I mean, he had that uh, turnaround at the end of the season—not turnaround, but he played well uh, at the end of the season. So, uh, I'm, yeah, not it, yeah. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it to hear me out here. Okay, I'm not saying it's to give the Knicks fans hope. I'm saying it at least boosts his trade stock. It does. It does. You gotta let me get to the finish. Okay, I'm gonna let you finish, Sway. Well, I'm done now. It's going to be a big offseason, though. I can already feel it. I can feel the Yeah, energy. a lot of weird stuff is going to go around. A lot yeah. of, I'm, I'm guessing, like, signing trades and stuff. Because there's a lot of restricted guys that yeah. aren't a lot of that young draft players. where it's not Lonzo Ball, Marco Fultz draft, where there wasn't a lot of top-end talent. So there mm-hmm. are kind of mid-tier guys where teams could be good with just letting them go or they want to get some kind of little pieces back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get there, you got to finish the finals. So we'll be back next week to talk about the game five, which will be in Phoenix. That'll be a big time game. But besides that, I think that'll do it for us. My name is Daniel with my pod pal, Phil. Check us out on Twitter at Pod. Follow us on Popcorns. Listen to our podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Hoopscoop. And we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace.